Good morning and top of the morning to you. That's right. We are starting the day off at the top. So let's continue right now and be kind today. That's right. We're going to be kind today because being mean is easy. Being kind takes a little bit of work. Somewhere along the line, right around that teenage years, we picked up a few interesting quirks like a nasty put down is not that big of a deal or having that superior smile just isn't noticed. Not unlike the clever one-liner no one else finds clever. Making yourself feel bigger by making someone else feel smaller takes so little skill that they often call it junior high behavior. In some circles, elementary school behavior. So today, let's allow that 12-year-old inside of us, let's allow the creativity to shine rather than the casual cruelty. Now let's get this day of kindness started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Forbes with <laughs> OG Directory with my co-host Jason Spees Crude Life with the Crude Life. We're here live from the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference in Bismarck, North Dakota, and I'm so pleased to welcome Alma Cook from Cook Compliance Solutions mm-hmm. to the show. Alma, how long have you been a fan of the Crude Life? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's such an easy first question. <laughs> so I think I dug my heels into the crew life just about a year ago. Like when the market started going absolutely haywire in 2020, I started just looking for commentary that was interesting and grounded and especially uh, commentary that was that was based in the Bakken. And mm. there is no one better <laughs> than the crew life. You have the monopoly on that as far as I'm concerned. What kinds of other certain topics that interest you maybe more than others when you're listening to oil and gas? Oh my gosh. Well, I, you know what's interesting is when you first enter this industry, and I came in as a complete newbie. I was telling you guys before we started recording, I'm a music major. Like, what? How did you yeah. end up in oil and gas as a music major? Um, <laughs> I'm really you, upset you're not going to beatbox for uh, me, but maybe some today. other time. Not today. Well, uh, the 11 Lounge, May 14th, 7.30 p.m. I'll be playing. <laughs> but um, when you come into the industry, you think everybody knows everything. It's kind of like when you're a little kid and you assume the adults in the room. It's very intimidating. It's absolutely intimidating. And so you're afraid to ask questions. You think, oh, like, you know, if I don't know what this term means, I'm a complete idiot and this person isn't going to want to talk to me. Um, but, but yeah, so I, you, you come to realize very quickly, though, that everybody has their own silo. Um, and the more complete picture you have, especially if you're working in the compliance industry as I am, um, the, the better equipped you are to speak different languages and translate across those quote unquote cultures within the industry. So um, while I'm interested in topics like ESG, um, which you know is compliance adjacent, <laughs> there's a big kerfuffle. I know you guys have done a series <laughs> on ESG recently. I really am interested in everything. I was just talking to a frack engineer over there, a Monty Bessler, whom you just interviewed. He's one of my, one of my favorite people in the Bakken. Um, so literally anything a person will, will, will tell me about oil and gas, I will absorb it. I'm like a sponge. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love your passion 
for the industry and how, how long have you been in the industry? I've been in the industry five, six years. I lose track actually. What got you <laughs> what got you started into the oil and gas oh, industry? It's, it's such a weird story and I don't know how <laughs> how long of a version I should tell you. But the the uh, the short version is that my brother studied abroad in Thailand in uh, in undergrad. And what was her name? Uh, uh, the name of this person? No, the broad. The abroad? I'm just kidding. Oh. Studied abroad. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Jason's crude, crude, no pun intended, sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so he was studying abroad in Thailand with this uh, gentleman who was from Williston, started a company in the Bakken. Um, and I didn't have any concern about this at the time, but this person became a family friend and was, was really uh, near and dear to our hearts. Like I said, I'm a music major. What does a music major need to do when they graduate college? They're touring, they're producing music. You know, I'm investing in my own career, doing what I need to do to make it, uh, quote unquote, as a singer. And um, it really, really helps if you have a, a remote job to subsidize that. <laughs> to make a little money to pay yeah, the rent. Yeah, to make a little bit of money to pay the rent and pay for the records that you're producing. Mm -hmm. um, pay for all the, the, the social media, con the press, like everything that you need to um, pay for in order to have a sustainable career. So um, I was actually working a different remote job fresh out of college. Lost it because I was a little bit too sassy. <laughs> I can't that. tell. I can't Imagine tell. That. Yeah. Um, and I, I call up my friend, this family friend, frantically, and I'm like, Oh my God, do you have anything that could help hold me over at this period of time uh, where I don't have a job? I, I, I'm imagining my world crashing, having to be a barista, having to to work at a department store, um, which you know disables essentially puts on hold my entire music career. Um, and it, lo and behold, somebody had left that week that very week in a compliance position at his company. So I don't have a clue about this industry. I had done a little bit of editing work, you know, on, on SOPs or like, he'd, he'd given me a bit of reading material and editing work prior to that. But other than that, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But within three months, I took a department that was in the red and made it not only in the green, but one of the most profitable departments in the company, not to toot my own horn. <laughs> no, but I fit sometimes a fresh perspective. A fresh perspective. Absolutely. Yes, and I just fell in love with it. And I started to see, this is, compliance is not just a bunch of boxes that you're checking, it's a story, it's a relationship between the supplier, on the one hand, these small companies that make the Williston Basin tick, and the large producers that are funding all of that and making life as we know it possible. Um, so I fell in love with that story and started to see, oh my God, there's so many things that people aren't seeing about this storyline. And by stepping back as a complete newcomer, a music, a freaking music major, <laughs> um, I would like to think that I, I brought something really new to the compliance industry. So I ended up starting my own company later down the line, um, but I could not be more grateful that I was given that random accidental intro to the industry years ago. I got a question for you. We got to rewind a little bit. Be yeah. kind, rewind. You mentioned silos. Mm. That was a trigger word for me. Oh, As yeah? in like, oh, somebody's speaking my language. But then I realized, I don't know if we're speaking the same language. So what's a silo to you in that context? What's a silo to me? In that context, yeah. Uh, well, You talked about how industry had silos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody is working upstream, they mm -hmm. might know nothing about midstream. And they might know nothing about downstream. <laughs> I Sean love this. Is, I love this. No, this is yes. very important yeah. conversation. I'd love to hear somebody else mm -hmm. talk about this. And not only that, you can zoom in. Oh, a little just bit wait. It's going to get even. better. <laughs> so even if even if you're you're in the upstream side, you could be a welder, or you could be providing insulation, or you could be roustabout, or you could be hotshot, and you might know nothing about what those other guys are doing, even though you're all technically upstream. You know, so that. Um, 
that uh, that super hyper zoomed in perspective I find can be really really crippling for service providers especially when they're trying to, to communicate to producers their value because they don't know the context of their own value and that's one thing that I really try to bring to the table for the small contractors that I serve yeah or the arm of the energy chain that they support yes and yeah. but, they, but they could be supporting it on a wider scale. Yeah. But like you said, exactly. they put themselves in a corner mm-hmm. and they only cater to a certain part of that yep. stream. And it's right? if we want to make an analogy to music here, it's like, oh, yeah, I know how to drum super, super well. Look at me. I'm a fantastic drummer, blah, blah, blah. But if I don't know how to play, you know, in time with the bass and I don't know what that drumming is supposed to sound like in context with the singer and I'm drumming too loud. I mean, I'm not doing my job. So service providers are doing themselves a great disservice by not taking the time to step back, learn more about where they're fitting into the supply chain, and really help the producers solve their problems better. So what I believe is happening right now, and the other host, when it's not Sean Forbes, Sterling. Sterling's never worked a day in oil and gas. He grew up in Saudi Arabia, in Dahran, which is an oil and gas compound. So imagine like a crew camp but they've got golf courses and schools and but it's still a razor wire fence around the entire oh my city. Gosh, so it's like a company town, but it's there's what is there's the, four of them in Saudi oh Arabia God. because there's so much oil Whoa. and gas activity that these companies literally own the town, literally. Meaning there's a grocery store there, but Saudi Ramco, which is the largest oil and gas company in the nation, mm-hmm. used to be Ramco and used to be Standard Oil, right? Mm-hmm. They employ the grocery store workers. They employ the greenskeeper at the golf course. They employ the teachers, okay? So if you're a teacher and you're teaching in Saudi Arabia, you're actually employed by an oil and gas oh company. Gosh. You're not employed yeah. by an education system, yep. okay? So he that's what he grew up in, right? I don't even know where the that's heck I was whole, going with this story. What, what he talks about is building silos. Mm. What he thinks right now is happening in the oil and gas industry is that they're building silos, meaning they're purposely building an insulation so they will not have to go talk to others. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, Mike Summers with API earlier. Yep. He's here at the conference. We've asked him to come on the show. We've had others ask him to come on the show. Okay? People of influence, not just the crude life, people of real influence asking, hey, right? Hey, you have re- real influence. You're now hired. You're on our <laughs> staff. Okay. Happy, um, happy to be hired. But I found out today. You're talking about the energy world. Energy world. So what I found out today was that there were several people that had lunch and specifically mentioned the crude life in my name and said, you have to interview with Mm -hmm. him. And he won't come on because he does not want to talk about climate tax is what I was told. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The biggest tax on the planet, and no one was talking about it, right? That is a silo. That is an example of where if your industry is not silo. talking about it, yeah. you're building your own silo. So I, I found, that's why I just wanted, we've yeah. been talking about silos a lot yeah. lately. And so you brought that word in. So mm-hmm. just for the, our audience, well, I wanted to make sure that, yeah. you know, we defined it. So It's interesting that you brought that up because, I mean, so that, that um, the API American Petroleum Institute. Yes, yes, of course. So they they uh, released that press release just what a day or two or a week. Before oh, I'll that, give you the timeline. That Department of Interior meeting. So, oh, that I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that they released it, mm-hmm. and then it was seven to ten days later they came back and endorsed it. Okay. So it was less than a week of conversation yeah. because it was on a Friday yeah. when they so released it. I, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes at API, but what was, re- what was really interesting to me is I was in that Department of the Interior meeting about the federal leasing ban, 
and uh, now we're getting you know a little bit off track from compliance but it is well, I mean, this fine. is our industry it's related yeah um, which by the way the, the DOI meeting started with everybody naming their pronouns and <laughs> and apologizing for at least one minute about exactly which tribe uh, whose land they were occupying it was a very interesting like I, I've That's never strange. I've never that seen very somebody awkward. yes I've never seen somebody use their time that way in a, in a mm, federal I government know. meeting I guess I'll, I'll put it that way I spent a little bit of time yesterday clarifying the chairman remark I made because oh yeah well, we have Chairman Ken Hall, but he's chairman of Missouri River Resources, which is a private mm. company. He was offended when I said Chairman Hall because his cousin, Tex Hall, is the chairman of the MHA nation. Yes. And for a Native American, chairman is the nation, not a private ah, company. Ah, yes. And so I actually had to take a little time out of the show to kind of clarify that and respect. apologize. Yeah. yeah, I didn't need to, but, yeah. you know, just to educate and make awareness. He was and very gracious about he his was, correction. He was gracious. I actually brought it up on right. the air because oh, most, most people wouldn't even yeah, do that. I'm so yeah. Glad, yeah, that was very respectful of you. I, um, I, you know what? I, I fall flat on my face every day a hundred times and offend a hundred people, oh so gosh. I don't mind talking but you about gotta, it. But you yeah. got to own it every time That's you make right. a mistake. 99. Everybody 99 up. times. One time you get it right. I did good today. All right. That's right. Even yeah. a broken clock is right twice yeah. a day. That's mm-hmm. right. So anyway, once is good for That's me. That's right. <laughs> At that meeting, anyway, after the pronouns and after the the indigenous people apologies, they brought on all sorts of experts from different arenas to weigh in on this federal leasing uh, ban that they were discussing. And they brought the indigenous peoples up. A very interesting conversation, different perspectives. Not uh, not at all a monolith, by the way. These tribes are not all you know anti oil and gas as you might think. There was a, a woman from Alaska. Oh no, just, we we oh talked about yeah the mixed emotions it's with so the mixed. tribal. It is so mixed to paint. Yes. As, as one uh, uniform story is a, is a total disservice to, to what these tribes are actually uh, doing and thinking and needing. But anyway, API came on as one of the experts, I believe, or as somebody who was uh, API adjacent at least. And it was very interesting to me that that DOI meeting was happening right after that standard was released by them, this carbon carbon tax. And I, I felt like it was them, the, it was API maybe throwing them a bone in advance of this meeting to say, hey, 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 don't hurt us. We're at least trying. So that's how I read it. I know the industry has digested it in a few different ways. And I, again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But I do know I was in that DOI meeting. And they, they played that like a card politically. How do you feel about that from a compliance perspective? That's interesting to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's politics, right? That's I'm why in, it's interesting ex- to me. <laughs> you are more of a political than I, perhaps. I. I don't want to be, but unfortunately, I, I worked in it for 20 years. So, I, 25 years, I've worked in government affairs. Oh my gosh. So I do know how it works, and That's, what I'm seeing is it's it's nauseating. It's nauseating, yeah, it right? Is. And candidly, I I would rather stay away from that arena for now. And from a compliance perspective, for your question. I, um, not to say that I'm in a reactive rather than a proactive mode, because that's not the case, but right now I'm really focused on that relationship between the producer and the supplier. What the government is doing, the government is going to do. I can't take care of every problem at once. I have no magic wand. So I've, I've adopted that as my domain, and maybe someday I'll get in those arenas of, of political power. But I, th- I feel like there, you're super aware, though, of what's going on in the political world I mean, I so that if you have to shift or mm-hmm. like realign what it is that you're doing for companies you would be prepared I would try to be yeah, yeah but uh, but uh, I don't know I, I really believe in humility and knowing your lane uh, all the time I see companies out here 
saying yes to every possible thing they could be do. You know, they have an MSA for Hotshot, but then the, their, their producer asks them, oh, can, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And they say yes, yes, yes. And they don't know if they have the capacity to do that. <laughs> so I'm the person who would rather stay, you know, squarely over my skis if the opportunity arises to move into politics in some way to, to help uh, influence from up there, then, then so be it. But right now, um, my priority is, is healing that relationship, kind of being a marriage counselor <laughs> between the, the producers and the well, suppliers. You're a bridge. You're uh, a bridge. Yes, a bridge. That's a much better way to put it. Thanks, yeah. Sean. So <laughs> let's, let's she'd be a very good politician. Oh, You'd be very good at it. Yes. Yeah, you would. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. No one has ever told me that. No. Yeah. Well, let's I'll talk at that. Let's talk I, don't, I don't know if you'd be a lifetime one because I don't think that you would no last. No one should be a lifetime politician. Well, no. It, it changes people. You know, everybody go. It's like teaching. You go in. You're all. You're going to change the world. You're going to change yeah. kids. And then they just beat you down. And then you just become part of the administration <laughs> and everything else. It yeah. happens in politics all the time, too. But I love your energy. So. I Thanks, Jason. I can tell. Yeah. Your energy and your passion and your spirit is just electrifying. Very oh difficult gosh. to fake yeah. passion. Very difficult to fake passion. Right. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree yeah. with that. And All right. What was your question? Yeah, Sorry, Sean. I was going to say, let's talk about specifically what it is that you do for okay. companies. Yes. Because compliance is broad term. It's so, so broad. Let's be specific. It's so broad. And so do listeners know about your background at all? Mine? Yes. Have we talked about my background? I think I think have. we did once or twice, <laughs> but once that was like in the beginning. Yes. yes. In the beginning, yeah. So when when I met you in a bar Genesis. yesterday, Sean, <laughs> Chapter you, one. you described yourself as a former buyer. Mm. And at first that word threw me off because it's not a word that I hear super often. <laughs> but you... There's it, so many not. different words to there's describe what words, I do. And it depends who you're talking to, right? I thought of fashion, by I the know. way. Literally, I, did, I thought I of fashion. Right I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, I guess like we could use some like FRs that are actually flattering to women. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that too. Hey, I'm, fle- I'm flexible. I'm flexible. I'm an ideologue. What can I say? Um, I, yes. So I, when I, when I find what cued me into what you actually did as a buyer was when I described what I did and you actually knew what I did. (laughs) So I work in supply chain, uh, which means that the people uh, in the the producer and the the midstream companies who need vendors to, to provide all these services on the ground, they're looking for the best and the brightest. And they're evaluating these um, service providers using certain criteria. And they, (laughs) Jason is still laughing. I gave him a cramp. He's stretching. Oh my God. He's stretching. (laughs) I'm not funny. So this is very flattering to me that I like got in a joke that actually landed. (laughs) He's multitasking. So it's the same if you're hiring an employee, right? So Jason, if you were hiring like an intern or an employee at Crude Life, you would be like, "What's your resume?" We can no longer hire interns. We've been warned. You've been no, warned. I'm just kidding. I just, let me let me just you say set that. Set it up. I gotta smack it down. Okay. Let me just say that a buyer is probably a very low level mm. description of what it is that I do. So I could say I'm a procurement manager. I'm a supply mm-hmm. chain manager. I purchase things. I source things. There's yeah. a lot of different ways to describe what I do, but right. a lot of people relates to buyer interesting like, like i buy things it's i buy an services yes. i buy you know what i mean yeah, so it is. it's not it's, one it's kind service. of i don't want to say it's demeaning because not a buyer has a a role in this mm-hmm. world right but 100% buyer procurement supply chain they all mean different things and those really. you know, granted like the word procurement is so esoteric uh, excuse me esoteric i've been drinking too much vodka waters over here wow um, you said esoteric esoteric <laughs> boy you can certainly fit in here at the crude life with esoteric energy that's right esoteric energy um so i get why you would choose that over pre- procurement certainly um but it's not a it's not a word that i hear often on the ground um 
But anyway, yeah, so you know as a buyer, you are looking for the best vendors because you don't want to hire this crane operator who kills a guy on the job and you're like, uh, like I didn't realize he would do that. And uh, by the way, does he have the insurance to cover the damage that he his just did? Safety score. What's his, what's his safety rating? score? What's so his What's his EMR? EMR? What's an EMR? I don't know. <laughs> so, like, if you're, if you're, that was my question, by the way. What is an EMR? <laughs> I, I've never heard that. So there, I oh my god, it's alphabet soup in the safety world. In the oil and gas world. In oil and gas. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Total recordable incident rate. EMR. You can't even be called the greatest in the world anymore. You're called a goat. You're the greatest of all time. Yes. You're a goat. Nobody. No, it's laziness. We're going, it's laziness. It's we're, one syllable. We're goat going back of greatest to greatest of all time. Five Egyptian syllables. times. Mm-hmm. We're going back to emojis on the wall hieroglyphics. as hieroglyphics. Yes. And the goat, which is known as an acronym. Mm-hmm. I understand it is an acronym. I understand that. But that's how lazy we're getting. Oh my God. When I was a kid, <laughs> tropical snow was called trop snow. <laughs> We took away some syllables, man. Nice and easy. Trop snow. So anyway, now it's that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Yes, and the safety world is no different. We abbreviate everything. The goal is to make things as confusing as possible. So even though we quote unquote care about safety, we're just like spinning the spinning uh, the minds. Well, I think out we get so far into our own little deep dark silos, mm-hmm. like you. Well, guys that's by design, like to call though. It. No, yes, a- a- acronyms you, you are by design. You forget about. Mm. Yeah. The actual the meaning, meaning of the That's word thing, right? George yeah. Carlin, the great George Carlin, the prophet George Carlin, also known as a comedian. He does a great bit on language. He, t- he starts with the word shell-shocked. Back in World War I, it was a, it was a disorder that when uh, somebody in combat gets too stressed, their brain kind of shuts down. It's known as shell-shock, mm-hmm. right? Well, then he goes through the different combat fatigue, operational over, all these different things, and he goes through the syllables and the acronyms to where it gets to PTSD. It started out as shell shock, and it went through eight evolutions. And mm-hmm. he goes through and he talks about how little di- more difficult to say. Whoa. Shell shock, nice and easy. And then he goes, what does he call it? Uh, battle battlefield fatigue. It almost like, sounds like something you do at the end of the day. Right. After, you know. And mm-hmm. he goes through this, and he goes, you know. If they would have called it shell shock, those veterans probably would have got help in the day. But PTSD makes it sound sterile. Yeah, makes sterile. it sound yeah, and so that's really safety's a yeah. k- kind of their their strategy. In the fact, they don't want people to over freak. They don't yeah. want people to freak out. Oh, because nobody likes the safety guy. You no. stiffen up when you're on site, and the, oh, the safety no. guy's here. Oh, oh but like. Think about yeah. the world we live in, where we live in a competitive world of freakout now. Mm-hmm. Just look at—I'm not—I I'm not, don't want to get political, but just take a look at like masks and the sanitation. Look at how far people have gone to where they do like bubble seating outdoors and all these different things. Yeah, that—that that is a competition of freaking out, in yeah. my opinion. So, I believe that that's—that's that's a lot of the safety yeah. industry is to kind of squelch those calms yeah. and those fears. Anyways, but, but what that's doing is creating a world where contractor A, who's kicking ass looks exactly the same on paper as contractor B who just cut a guy's arm off last week because I promise you you could kill a guy on site and I could paper it over if I wanted to in a way that would would make it go away that is but I, so I would never I would fucking ne- I, I don't know if you swear on the show oh no no you I, do I, I, I don't but you can I would never paper that over but there are Fuck people yeah. there, <laughs> there are people in the compliance world who would I just and, felt I had to <laughs> I got Jason to let loose. What's up, guys? Um, 
So yeah, and but that makes it think about what that does to the buyer, to the the Sean or like the former Sean of the world. Well, that's only one aspect of a, an analysis for awarding a job mm-hmm. to a company, right? Is looking at your safety scores, your safety programs, but there's six other factors that mm-hmm. I consider too. It's like what does your pricing well, so, look like? What yeah, is what your, are the factors that you consider? I wonder. What does your price look like? What is your level of service? Do you have a great customer service? What is the reliability of your equipment how old is it is mm-hmm. it going to break down or are you going to cause me to have standby charges and then that creates a domino effect with other trades yep. that are waiting in line on the job site to do that job um, what is your lead time mm-hmm. how far is your shop from my location oh how my much yes. money am i going to have to pay for logistics you know what i mean so there's several factors and safety is a number one obviously always um, but it's not the only factor it's that I look at, one. you know, yeah. but so I'm really interested in like, am I getting crew A, your A team? Am I getting your B team? Yeah. Am I getting your C team? Because a B team and a C team is going to cost me more money. Absolutely. And, but, uh, but the A team or excuse me, which one is the A team? I forget. <laughs> I'm forgetting now. The best crew. That's uh, the, Mr. The, T. The A team. Uh, okay. Mr. T has Murdoch, the A team. Murdoch. Murdoch. Yeah. Mr. Van, the I'm, whole deal. Oh Sorry. my gosh, I'm getting caught up in the acronyms and the letters now. I'm confusing myself. That's okay. I'm stuck at Webster um, and A Team yeah. and different strokes. So go on. A lot of Gary people, Coleman. Sorry. A lot of people stop at the pricing question, though. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. producers are all, producers are always saying like, oh, like pricing isn't the only thing we consider. Best value. But, yeah. So there's best value. There's landed cost, and there's mm. total cost of ownership. Those are the That's three. So well said. Things that. You have to consider, and I always talk to suppliers and I say, there are factors that we take into consideration when we award a bid. Um, And I can't speak for all supply chain people. Of course not. The culture Um, is so different. Because it depends on on who you are and who's Mm -hmm. making the award decision. Because people always ask me, Sean, what are people looking for when they make an award decision? And I go, I don't know. It depends on who's making the decision. Yep, 1,000%. If it's an engineer... He's thinking about different things. If it's the drilling superintendent, he's thinking about Mm -hmm. different things. Some guys only care about cost. I care about all of them. Yeah, and shouldn't it be collaborative? It should be collaborative. And safety is is certainly one element of it. But contractors who are listening right now are going to think, yeah, my ISN and PEC, Veriforce scorecards, might say one thing. And that seems to be all that, you know, this producer I'm working with cares about. And so I, the, the ISN PEC uh, puzzle is something that I, I hack for contractors. Um, but of course, the ultimate goal is to change that culture at the top. And those producers who are calling the shots and saying, okay, contractors, you got to play by this game. I want to change the actual game and say, okay, producers, let's look at what's actually bringing you value and what insights you actually need um, to, to choose the best vendors. Because right now you, you've set well, up a you set up a game, but the game is kind of rigged and the contractors all know oh, it. It's terrible you know? because they, they try to do a one size fits all, mm-hmm. you know, and it's you can't do that because you have different companies who provide different services that have different levels of risk. thousand percent. Yes. Right? So you exactly. can't just say we have one standard MSA yep. and one insurance requirement bucket and you have to fit into all of that. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, some small businesses like you talk about that are like, wow, these insurance requirements are going to be so expensive yes. for me. And I, I maybe haul equipment, yes. you know, so you're not dealing with pr- pressure pumping. You're not dealing yep. with pressure vessels or high risk um, operations, 
but yet you're held to the same standard as some of these other companies. Exactly. So that's, Sean, I'm happy you brought that up because that's a big part of what I do. Like some of what I do is the boring, uh, like the, the rote admin work just to take that off contractor's plate. And then another part of what I do is educate them on the, the stuff that they actually need to please the operators and be safe and follow OSHA, federal guidelines and so forth. But another piece of it is that negotiation because there are times where a two-person company who does like rentals or something is being asked to get a $10 million umbrella policy. They didn't even know it was in their MSA because they didn't read it and they didn't send it to me to to check it out. They're not ready for hire because they don't have the right insurance. Exactly. Requirements. Exactly. And now they have to run back to their broker. Who, oh, by the way, or, isn't very good and has like a Gmail address. Or as his they can go back to the doing. producer and ask for a waiver. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. The, you the, can the get waiver. A waiver. Yes. So they don't know that, but I know that. Right. And I say, okay, okay, all right, Billy, Billy, what, Billy's I'm welding. I'm still laughing at the Gmail address. That's, <laughs> That's, I'm just thinking like Hotmail is how I used to it's make It's literally, of it's not even fiction, Jason. <laughs> no, I believe you, but it's just so funny. It that is you said so that. funny. So like they're trusting their, their risk mitigation, their insurance to somebody who doesn't even have a proper company. It's so bizarre. Yes. Um, well, they're a broker, right? Yes. So, as a broker, yeah. which by the way, I have a partnership with a broker who is astounding and, and offers a ton of like legitimate partnership let's problem solve so please reach out to me if you want more information it's about not, that is it at uh, hotmail.com <laughs> hotmail. yeah, I love that label it's not gmail it's hotmail it's <laughs> so much better that so means I, it's been around for a while yes right? I like getting ones from AOL those AOL. are my favorite I my love brother, my brother still has an AOL oh, and because, my mom and my mom because yes. I know people with AOLs and they all sit in the, sa- in the same little category man I love it I love it you got mail yes <laughs> Yes. Um, one yes. of the things I did want to bring up was um, I've had probably four or five, I'll even say six, why not? We're rounding up, it's late. <laughs> um, talk about the safety buzzwords. And that's mm-hmm. what they said. They go, we do all the safety buzzwords. Like that, they're, they're tired of it. Having to brag that we're this certified and yep. this certified because everybody is now. Yep. So it's like college degrees, everybody next, has one. What's the next yeah. step? The next step is actually being good at what you do. <laughs> okay, so this, what's the real is, next step? Re- <laughs> well, so, okay, hold on. Let's st- take it back a step. If you're per- doing no, providing forward, if you're if you're providing certain services, like let's say welding, you mm-hmm. have to have certain credentials. Yes, there is be, a baseline. There is a yeah. baseline mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. certifications, like you mentioned. But yes, there are others probably that are fluff. Right, mm-hmm. but there are. I imagine are there new ones? Now, I don't know if this ESG is like a new certification it that gives be. you the platinum. I think it is it too. It will be. It's I promise be a you, it's going to be a bureaucratic nightmare. I agree. And I'm going to be here for it, and I'm going to help people through it. But God, I'm not looking forward to it. Is there anything like that that is here now? I don't know. I imagine Colorado's got some. I imagine uh, North Dakota's got some with emissions. Texas mm-hmm. is going through that right now with with emissions. So well, no. So if you if you read a company's MSA, which is a Master Service Agreement. It talks about environmental health and safety requirements. Mm -hmm. And some of those environmental requirements discuss the proper disposal Mm -hmm. of trash and driving on roads with respect to the community and things. So it's something that's already been embedded legally, right? Sign this contract. You agree to abide by all of these rules, to be able to work for us mm-hmm. as it's a company. Very, it's very loose, yeah. though. And so it is, but yeah, it's the, also... Yeah, the producer leaves it open-ended so they can change and adapt yeah, and improve, but it's like even. kind of like yeah. s- 
I don't want to say smally. Is that a word? Smally? smally. So I, think, I think it is a Mighty Ducks. Smally? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> um, companies have been compliant, right, and environmental and community standards and things like that forever. Mm-hmm. But now it's being standardized and highlighted yeah, well, I, on, I a think, bi- on a billboard yeah it's like what are you doing so yeah. i'm thinking of what your f- former co-worker at whiting said ashley mcnamee who's now with wilson and alvarez alvarez and wilson i apologize she's doing esg certification mm-hmm. for oh companies. this is the the i think i mentioned her ashley um, yes, yes that was one of my favorite episodes oh. honestly not gonna lie oh. and it, it gave me a new perspective look at on you ESG. calling it an episode i call <laughs> it an interview oh that just melted oh, my heart okay happy to melt your heart anyway. so what she talked about was that and i agree with her because we talked about this before the interview oil and gas companies have been esg for years yes. long yes. before yes. the environmental movement mm-hmm. came all they mm-hmm. got to do is tell the story. Yes, That's telling the all story. all they have to do. Yeah. But, there's a big but here. Baby got back Sir Mix-a-Glit, Sir Mix-a-Lot but, right? <laughs> what we've got going on here is, and we talked with Blue Halsey from Continental Resources mm-hmm. about this, because I wanted somebody of his prominence to be able to tell the story. There's a lot of PTSD, getting back to that, post-traumatic stress oh, disorder totally. for the industry. And I compare it to a restaurant. When I worked in the restaurant industry, we were told if, if a patron goes to your restaurant 10 times with a perfect meal, they might tell one person when they're done. Yeah. If they go there one time and have one bad meal, mm-hmm. they'll tell three people, and those three people will tell three people, and, those three, and it keeps going. Bad news spreads fast. I think that's a little bit of what the oil and gas industry is mm-hmm. going through right now is that when you're a king of the economy like they've been, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're one of the kings, okay? They get picked on all the time. And yeah. everybody's going, frivolous lawsuits. Let's go after yeah. the money. Easy, low-hanging fruit. Go pick on them. I think that's their biggest obstacle is actually having the courage mm-hmm. to step out and say, no, we're damn good. Yeah, we're and we're going to tell our story. Yeah, we're yep. going to talk about this. I don't know how to get them to open mm-hmm. up, but they are slowly. So it is getting better. Yes. But I, I do think that is the biggest thing is that they've been just kind of held accountable on such minuscule things Mm -hmm. that don't even matter in the big picture. Maybe they do, but it's just not even a huge thing. Yeah, some of them do, some of them don't. But it gets blown up like it's the biggest thing. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody likes the underdog, right? And as soon as you come out on top, all eyes are on you and all the criticism is there. And that's how markets should work, right? We need to criticize uh, companies and and, and hold them accountable for responsible decision-making. Accountability. But that standard of what is responsible and what is not cannot be this bureaucratic, tangled nightmare that it, it has become. And I really, what was her name from Whiting? Ashley McNamee. Ashley. Yes, I loved how she put that, the language of like telling your story. You're already doing these things, and that's what I tell my people in compliance. I'm like, we talked you about know this earlier. You're safe. Yes, you're yes. already doing things. You know you're a safe company. Let's prove it, and if we have to add some documentation what to that, it. What does that text say that I wrote to Sterling, the co-host? Oh, that's funny. What does that yeah. say? There's something about an underdog that inspires the unexceptional. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Found that funny. <laughs> a little fortune cookie <laughs> wisdom for you. Well, the unexceptional <laughs> yeah. always likes the underdog. And mm. as somebody who's always loved the underdog, it related yeah. to me <laughs> for yeah. some sick reason. But well, the anyway. underdog makes a good story, right? Yeah. And candidly, that's what I'm trying to do with these service providers. Like, okay, you're a three-person company, mm-hmm. but I know you're kick-ass. You're better than that person who's getting all the business. So let's tell your story. Let's piece your your, your mm-hmm. safety stats. And let's, it's not fudging the paperwork. It's communicating the truth. We never, I will never lie about what a company does in order to make them look good to a producer. I, if you ask me a question that I'm supposed to say yes to, but they don't, they, they can't say yes to it. Honestly, I'll let's say get no. Them there. No, but yeah, let's get them but there. But let's get them there if we need to. Because if I say yes, you're going to get audited. Somebody's going to find out. And that's not a good look. <laughs> so the reason I showed that to you, that was show prep, by the way. Oh, yeah? That was me sending Sterling some show prep about mm. what we were talking about. Because right now, everybody is either feeling or they're viewed as... Unaccept or you know the, the what was that word I used? To Unexceptional. Unexceptional. I love that word. Unexceptional because they're telling everybody whether you're an essential worker or not. Mm-hmm. So if you're not an accept, essential worker, you're thinking, well, what am I then? What am I? Well, what I'm trying to tell the oil and gas industry right now is there is a ton of people that consider themselves underdogs right now. So if you come out as the underdog. You're going to connect with everybody. So it was a very short window, I believe, for the oil and gas industry to strike on this. Yes. And that's why I texted it to him, because I do think we're in that time right now where the oil and gas industry, if they do tell their story about how they're doing yeah. and helping people, that's going to connect yeah. more than ever. Yeah, it's funny, telling the story... Uh do you know Mayor Patrick out of Midland? I do not. Mayor Patrick, you need to interview him on the crew line. I would love to. Oh my gosh, he's phenomenal. You know how a lot of uh, people, as they get high up in politics or in companies, it's like they're what they're communicating is the summary of the summary of the summary, and it's this weird, like fluffy PR, like yeah, yeah, we're doing great here over at like you know, sales incorporated or whatever it is we're doing. And you know that it's not the truth. It's not what's really going on. They're not communicating the challenges. The cheerleaders. They're they're just trying to cheerlead. Mm -hmm. Mayor Patrick out of Midland. Oh my gosh. He presented, um, uh, I'm part of the, I saw him, the Permian Basin Pipeliners Association, Mm -hmm. of which I'm a part, had him present at one of our meetings. I could not believe it. It I'm like, this is the guy I've been waiting for in the industry. What was he talking about? I don't even remember the topic, (laughs) Sean. But you felt like he was telling the truth. He was telling the truth. He was like, here are our challenges. We have our work cut out for us. This is not a cakewalk. Patrick Payton. Patrick Payton. Payton. That's what it is. Patrick Payton. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to be interviewing Patrick Payton (gasps) down in Midland. Because oh, give him my regards. He won't remember the, me at all. Well, he's doing a march to Washington. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. He's trying to lead a kind of a group to go to Washington on oil and gas behalf Whoa. with other okay. mayors and et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's why we were talking to him. And we're going to be down in the Permian yeah. in uh, June June, the week of uh, the ninth, ninth, tenth <laughs> is the Shell Energy Conference. Yeah, whatever, whatever that week of the ninth uh, is. Okay, uh, we're going to be down there, and he's going to be at the conference. No kidding. Yeah, he is. You're going to have to. You're going to have to come. come. I think I might be at a. Um, my aunt has a birthday party that weekend. Uh, sorry, oh, uh, sorry, and Judy. Bring sorry, the whole Judy. family down. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, I'll put it on my calendar, and we'll see. But you're you're going to have to connect with him. And one thing he said in that meeting, he's like, "Oil and gas is not good at singing our own song." And I immediately, you know, my ears perked up because I'm a music major and I'm a singer. And uh, uh, uh. and coincidentally, I have a song called 5,000 Candles. It's not out yet. I shot a music video for it last year featuring some of my clients, actually. And it is not called that, is it? 5,000 Candles. 
Oh, you're, you're going to make the Parks and Rec joke, aren't you? <laughs> 5,000 candles in the wind. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. But it, it refers to the flares, which, of course, we don't like flaring. But it, it sure is beautiful when you're flying in yes. to that, that Williston Basin Airport at night. And I remember that when I first came up here, I was so stunned and so confused by those beautiful flares at night. Um, so the song, you know, refers to the, the beauty, the natural beauty of the Williston Basin, as well as the, the beautiful faces of the people who make that entire economy tick. Um, like I said, the song isn't out, but but I immediately emailed Mayor Patrick and I said, "Oh my gosh, you have to like, like, what should I? <laughs> I have the song in the queue. How do I release it? And if anybody you know listening has a has a, a good strategy for PR, there, do email me and let me know. Mm-hmm. But I completely agree with you, Jason and Sean, that um, oil and gas needs to get better at singing its own song. Well, I said this earlier to Blue Holsey from mm-hmm. Continental. I said, mm. you know, oil and gas companies do a very poor job of talking about the good things that they do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of behind the scenes and that's the way we like it because we care about the communities that we're so fortunate to work in. And we need to get better at professionally promoting our industry, Mm -hmm. right? The opposition is doing it. I don't like us fighting the other energy folks. You know, energy, all energy has a place Mm -hmm. in this world. If it makes sense, it's that all and of it's the above. economical. Yeah, yeah, it's all the above, and we, we experiment. We all we don't have to fight yes. each other. We mm-hmm. can all coexist and get along and f- have conversations and talk about how we can all help each other yes. and be better, right? And, and not be better. fight yep. and not fight each mm-hmm. other. And you know, I asked him, "What is Continental doing that we may not know about or that we're not hearing about?" And he talked about a lot of really cool things that they're doing. Oh, but it's, such a good it's question. Like, yeah. yeah. And um, I totally agree. Like, mm-hmm. oil and gas companies do not take the credit for the good things that they do. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see oil and gas companies do to help sing their song? Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, we've been spouting that message for 10 years now. Yeah. That you guys have a story that needs to be told. And the leadership seems to go out and say, we need to tell that story. Mm-hmm. But then nobody does. Yeah. And this is, I, I'm serious. It's been going on for at least five years I've been hearing this message that we need to tell our story more and this and that you know whenever the rise of uh, the climate activism right around the Colorado time 2015 you know uh, is when when I started noticing a lot of it anyway um, what what do you think they could do because I I I hear them saying it Mm -hmm. but I don't see them doing it I see them spending the same money with the same people doing the same thing. The same thing, right? Yeah, and so that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing things really different Mm -hmm. to where we actually get invited to parades, bar mitzvahs, birthday parties, schools, barbecues, Mm -hmm. and our name is The Crude Life. Yeah. We're not hiding what we do at all. We're not trying to be some sort of, you know, uh, passive-aggressive thing. No, we're we're really honest in their face, And, and it works. Because yep. it's authentic and honest. Mm-hmm. That's what I think the industry needs to do. Yeah, well, I, I, I love that. And I would add that it needs to do that in more arenas. So you mentioned, yeah. uh, well, we've been talking about music and pop culture this entire time. Why is oil and gas not in pop culture? <laughs> like, why are we letting them control the narrative? I'll give you another <laughs> example. Yes, please do. We were going to, when the college football bowl games came, mm-hmm. we Sterling and I, doing the morning show, we were going to just do a segment on... Uh, Name the oil and gas companies that sponsored this bowl in what year. We're going to do trivia. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We've never done trivia, but we're going to do it, Whoa. right? None and none. None <laughs> and none. I There might have been an Exxon in the late 80s. 
I, I think I remember that, but I can't even remember that, mm-hmm. honestly. There wasn't one, not one oil company that sponsored a college bowl game. That is the most safe sponsorship yeah. you can do to engage yourself with 50,000 people mm-hmm. on a regular basis that are not oil and gas industry yeah. people. But that, that's an example for, for mm-hmm. th- that is one example that you can do to engage with people outside the industry. Yeah. In a town. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have oil and gas. I completely agree. Yeah. Now, I think that it's one thing to sponsor and slap your name onto another event or, you know, uh, uh, like, you know hitching your wagon to oh. something that's already running. Um, and I would add, though, that people are a little bit, especially these young... Um, uh, young people who love the underdog they're skeptical of corporations in general I've made you <laughs> traumatized on underdogs now I'm hey, sorry no 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 I, I'm, it's, it's whatever to me I just know how a story works stories always start with the I underdog I think this is a valuable perspective absolutely it is uh, thank yes. you Sean continue yeah. sorry um, to interrupt yeah so I, I think it's about more than sponsoring things I think it's about getting into the nitty gritty you know uh there, there are some people working on, and this isn't about conservative or liberal, but for example, there are some people who say there's not enough conservative rep- representation in movies, so we're going to start our own media company. We're going to do this thing. I'm not saying oil and gas needs to start a movie company, <laughs> but why is it not engaged in film? Like, Why is it, why is it letting itself get uh, completely steamrolled mm-hmm. any time that, like that, that children's book that you just held up? <laughs> Harry, Harry the, the Dirty, Dirty Dog. Dog. Yeah, that's when yes. it all started. Why, why is, there, is there no counter-narrative to that? Why are there no music? Yeah, <laughs> oh God! Don't forget that the oil pack social is at the Ramcoca at 7 p.m. Wait, is this it's a funny social? We can edit Wait, that it's funny that you say that because Wait, where are the people? There are some oil and gas companies <laughs> no, the that do make commercials. Okay, mm. so in Colorado, PDC is a big producer, and I see commercials from them all the time, and I'm thinking, oh, this is fantastic, right? Like they're putting it out in the community that they are actually producing oil and gas but their commercials are so blanketed Mm -hmm. i guess and almost covering up what it is that they do yep and so they say things like we're energizing people's lives it's so vague they don't they don't humanize but how like but how like what are you doing and let's talk about it specifically so that people know Mm -hmm. and understand and mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Did you know that all the food that you eat is grown with fertilizer that's made from natural gas? <laughs> like, what? Who knows that? Did you know that the varnish on your table, every medical device and pill that you take, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's all oil and gas. And I don't hear anybody talking about that in the pop, cu- pop culture arena. But it's, I think it's more than commercials. Uh, I think they just relate it to gasoline, to be honest. Like, sure. I don't think they yes. think about... They literally just think transport. What that's petroleum it. products do mm-hmm. for our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and so I... I, I don't think even think they think that anymore. You don't? No, I think they just think smokestack spills. Hold on, there's a there was a BP, pipeline you know? that BP, yeah. got cyber attacked this week. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to make a prediction. That is not the last. I, I think that's going to be a serious issue oh, yeah. I mean, the next from the, year. From I from totally a believe that. Yeah. The more I've been thinking about that, the yeah. more I, I did not like that. Go on, sorry. And do you know what a freak out that is? For those people up there, it's, they're in it's, line to get gas. It's kind of like the toilet paper, mm-hmm. you know, we, COVID. We now live in a world where you can draw a fist of spray paint on a pipeline in Colorado and shut down the grid for a day, okay? You can Suspicion. also have a, a cyber attack that does nothing, but just the fact that there was a cyber attack can shut the grid down, too. Those are two very disturbing 
uh, examples of cyber spray paint. Well, let really. me tell you. So I, I, I watch wow. HLN headline news in the morning because I think it's more fun than, you know, H-L-N listening. HLN headline, headline news? news? Okay. Yeah. And it's a CNN-based uh, okay. TV show. Who does not give me all the news I need, but go on. Who does not? Which I kind of like the fact that <laughs> That's it's their not... Slogan. You know, depressing news. No, CNN does a very good job of uh, presenting a very neutral. They yeah. Uh, s- sometimes. Oh my God, I would totally disagree. <laughs> however, compared to the other two. However, uh, yeah. In, in oh comparison, sometimes. No, in right. comparison, they do. It's however, this morning they were talking about this pipeline getting shut down and mm-hmm. the fact that the people in the northeast or north or wherever this pipeline goes, they they weren't going to get their gas and their fuel. And people were lining up at gas stations and filling up gas tanks and talking about how devastating this is going to be if people can't get to work or they can't drive their kids to school. And so I hope, like, this is always the hope, right, that people appreciate the industry because at this point, without it, they have to realize how important it yeah, is in their lives. How much they need it. Mm-hmm. But they don't. But and they I don't. don't get it yeah I don't get it either and I think this is where the oil and gas industry has to stop somehow we'll be the villain yeah somehow we're gonna be the we're villain always end up being the villain you know price get like whatever it is like but I think, so I think we have to stop guessing at what is going to change people's hearts and minds and and you know frankly open their minds to the truth in, in many of these areas not to say oil and gas is flawless because we're 100 not <laughs> my whole job exists because we're not flawless but um but I think this is where consumer psychology really has to come into play. And instead of just throwing dollars at sponsorships or throwing dollars at commercials or, you know, running this campaign or that campaign, slapping our logo on this, like we have to, to understand what words are triggering the public um, to be against us. We have to learn, you know, what what actually is the path forward to, to um, get people's ear in a meaningful way because we know it's not <laughs> get, we know it's not what we're currently doing so I, I would love to see some consumer psychologist studies that are actually like researching not just like a, a small focus group but researching in a scientific way what the best way to get our message out is because we've been just throwing consumer stuff on the analytics wall. consumer Let's figure it out none of it is sticking we're just throwing stuff at the wall and um, we can keep doing that all day but Honestly, like there, <laughs> there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way, and time is short. Like the the public is not for us right now, and if we don't act swiftly to to dial into what's actually going to be a, a sustainable solution, I don't know how we're going to make it through this. Alma, we still haven't talked specifically about what you do. Oh my for god, companies. <laughs> I go. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, Compliance. Compli- yeah, so I mentioned ISN and PEC. We, we can wrap this up pretty soon. I know we're, we're uh, coming up on a, show, a social here in a few minutes that we need to get to. But ISN and PEC, th- those might be acronyms that your listeners are familiar with. That's a starting point. So I often meet a, co- a contractor who is at their wit's end with compliance because their ISN account is showing up, you know, uh, you don't have this or that, and your score is bad with white. You're an F. You're an F. You're an F grade. You're a red grade. <laughs> or Everybody not ready for hire. Or yeah. red, yes. So a lot of, uh, that's maybe the, the doorway to, to signal to them that they need some help on compliance. And then, you know, we can go into these broader discussions that we've been talking about and the, the people side of it. But really, um, I, do pe- I do help people hack that scorecard as it is you know um if 
Specifically. Specifically. Getting, making sure they get the proper insurance. Yes. That they're contractually obligated to. There's training documents. There are acknowledgement forms. There are questionnaire items about your company culture and your company procedures for this thing, for that thing. And some producers care about certain things. Some of them don't. So my company, we have an index of every single operator in the play. And um, it's constantly changing. It's dynamic, you know. The producer X compares a, uh, cares a lot about the training documents. Producer Y audits all of their contractors every three years, so we got to get ready for that. Producer Z, um, you know, it, they have massive insurance requirements, so that's something to look out for. So I help contractors navigate that specific environment as it comes up. Maybe an ISN and PEC, maybe you know more. Uh, casually or DIY than that and then I, I help negotiate and um, change things where they need to be changed and um, shoot what was I thinking I, I was going to say I IS, ISN is IS Network IS Network and PEC yeah. is PEC Premier and these are mm-hmm. all contractor compliance software softwares yes I'm sorry I didn't even go that's okay <laughs> no like so it's uh, you know producers set a or midstream companies let's not mm-hmm. forget about those guys because they're very important to the value chain this isn't even limited to oil and gas <laughs> it's like not limited like georgia pacific they make paper right <laughs> so they any, have an any IS company network that has yeah. an is net world requirements mm-hmm. to fulfill to get them ready for hire yeah. or at least a passing grade yeah. right so they have um all of these different requirements like you said every company is different mm-hmm. every single company has different requirements so mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, you're a very small business and you're like, how do I figure out how to do all this paperwork so that I can go to work? Yeah, for for this client who's in front of me or plan ahead for the next year for this person I want to work for three years or one year down the line. If they give you an opportunity to be onboarded. Yes. Because... Onboarding a company, I'm going to talk from the oh, yeah. from a supply chain or a procurement person perspective. Yeah. So I would get phone calls from companies saying, how do I get an MSA with your company? And I would say, well, you don't unless you've been awarded work or you're a candidate for doing work or we're going to hire you or something because onboarding a company takes a lot of mm-hmm. time and time is money. Yeah. And so... We don't just onboard. You don't just put somebody on your ven- vendors list. Yeah, no, exactly. because now you have attorneys involved, and especially mm-hmm. if you have to negotiate the terms of the master service agreement and get that certificate of insurance. That's creating work for the insurance company. It's creating exactly. work for attorneys. It's creating yeah. work for a lot of different people, and so you just don't mm-hmm. onboard companies to onboard them for no reason. Yeah, for no reason, and so yeah, as much as we'd like to be in the queue, so it's nice to have you on the sidelines ready to go okay i like to think i'm in the middle but well no you're no you're on the sideline saying when you're ready for some help i'm here Mm -hmm. and we'll get you there quick yeah yeah exactly because the last thing you want because they stress so hard about they really do like how am i going to get compliant Mm -hmm. when they're yep awarding me work in a week and how can we fast track all of this stuff turnover like i will get calls at like 10 p.m on a tuesday like oh my god we have a job for so-and-so and I just realized we're not connected to them in ISNet world. What do I need to do? And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. That person's actually, we got to do this, this, that. We got to know this like company wants 80 other. pages of procedures. Pa- <laughs> it's, it's nuts. And you cannot do that overnight. And so what we really pride ourselves in at Cook Compliance is um, helping them plan down the road. So they know that they want work with Hess or Conoco or, you know, Kinder Morgan. And we're like, well, if that's what you want then let's get your house in order sooner rather than later so that you don't have 50 guys like trying to get on site in, down in Texas, unable to go on site because you didn't have XYZ certification. 
How can people get a hold of you? Hello at cookcompliance.co. And what's your Gmail address? My Gmail address. <laughs> that secretly is a Gmail address. Oh, uh, by the way, we should. I should mention we are shutting down the conference. So, we are oh, officially we're like the last, like the last here? people oh, there's here. A guy right here. I see him. Yeah. I'm going to add my it's phone. the janitor. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call NDSC the janitor. We love those guys. Um, so anyway, I, how can people get in yes, touch with you? Yeah. So hello at cookcompliance.co or 608-320-4345. My name is Alma Cook. And I'm happy to talk to anybody. I absolutely love hello instead of info or what I do. <laughs> I have hello I'm happy at ogdirectory.com. Oh twins, twins. I love yes. that. Okay, great. Okay. It's way more inviting. Totally and is. An info at mm-hmm. because you know when I see an info at, you know what I immediately think? That email is not going to be seen by anyone. Same. It's going into a black hole. Yep. That's exactly right. And that's yes. and more importantly, though, it's something different. Mm-hmm. And people are looking for something different because everybody's trying to just coast off of the same old, same old, and now that everybody's caught up in the same, same, you know, acronyms, if you will, people are looking for things different, so kudos to you, and good luck, and feel free to lean on us anytime. Thanks, Jason. Big fan. Hope to see you guys again sometime. Loved having you on. Thank you. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to gam.ai. That's Great American Mining, gam.ai. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. I'm Tom Shepstone, and I'm a... uh president of the Shepstone Management Company, which is my consulting company, and I can be contacted at naturalgasnow.org. I guess I never looked at you as a consulting company because you do such a good job reporting. Uh, I suppose that yeah. it is a blog at the end of the day, isn't it? That's kind of turned into That's a right. news source. <laughs> I have to have a source of income. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because there was you know there there was a handful of bloggers that actually did make it through, and I think at the end of the day it was nineteen out of twenty blogs they ended up ghosting after six blogs, people realized, oh, this is a full-time job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody can just be a writer. And yeah. um, <laughs> that's that's the podcast revolution now. It's like, oh, so you're going to do two full-time jobs. Got it. Okay. Yeah, right. right well, right. somebody's got to be the producer and they got to be the host. That's usually two yeah. different sets of uh, brains you're using there. So at yeah. any rate, um, you've been doing a very good job of covering the Marcellus primarily and uh, natural gas uh, to, to, to the point where that's what you call your, your blog, Natural Gas Now. Uh, I, I thought you'd be a perfect one for Cabot Oil and Gas. But it sounds like it is a merger, huh? Yeah, I think it is a merger. Uh, you know, you never know with these things until you get down the road a ways, you know, how it's going to work out. But uh, it's interesting, Simerex um, actually bought or owns more of the stock than Cabot does. Um, uh, in terms of stockholders, but it's only slightly more. And secondly, the the new CEO is actually the former CFO at uh, at uh, Cabot. So uh, very interesting. It was when I when I, whenever I see these mergers right away, my uh, you know my my skepticalness comes up because. We've had a lot of them around my neck of the woods, and the one that I always give is the hospital where Sanford bought out Meritcare. Meritcare was a long-standing this and that, and Sanford came in as the out-of-town, and then, of course, they became – it was a merger. Well, they were called Sanford, and pretty soon, you know, Meritcare has n- never been mentioned again, right? And it's kind of a soft blow as, as the way a merger is, but when I was looking at the um, kind of the details of this – and, and I don't have them all. I just got some basically yeah. Reuters and a few other, um, a few. I did put a call, by the way, I put a call out to Cabot to try to uh, see if, if they have anything. I'm expecting silence outside of, uh, um, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. I did get an email and they sent me to like a third party PR site to get my ball oh, rolling, yeah. you know, but uh, it, it seems like it is a merger. It sounds like they're going to have a new name and they're combining some assets. I'm sure there'll be, you know, probably some HR and some, some redundancy that that might happen, but for yeah. the most part, it does seem like a merger, though. Yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of my 
take on it too, but I don't know. I'm just making my observations from what I read. The other part I thought of it that was interesting in this, and if I was going to lead, read the tea leaves, I guess, is that th- this is another sign that a lot of the companies are saying, okay, we got to evolve here. And this was Cabot's way to get in the Permian and Simlick's way to get in the East Coast, it seemed like. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because Cabot did have assets in Texas at one point. That's, right. that's where they started. That's where their major offices are. But then they gave them up to concentrate on the Marcellus, and, um, which seemed like a smart move at the time because that's where everything was going well, and, and they've continued to do very well, uh, even in you know, very dire times. And uh, now they're, you know, they're, like you said, they're getting back into the Permian, but maybe with a different you know, a, a, a different outfit handling that part of it. And so uh, it kind of makes sense if they can combine certain resources, like you said, merge those parts together, but keep, but also keep the same people working the same areas. Mm-hmm. That, that, that starts to, you know, it depends on the model, I guess, they use. I mean, you know, there's these models that, that are heavy on the top-down management, and there's models that kind of, are set up so that, you know, you have independent companies within the company, you know. So uh, um, I would hope it's the latter, to be perfectly honest with you. So, is, is this pretty much just a gas deal? Yeah, that's how I see it, yeah. Yeah, that's so, what I thought, too. I, I, I didn't know if there was maybe some oil reserves or anything like that, but it, I, I know Cabot is just primarily gas, even though it says Cabot yeah, oil and gas. Be, it used to be oil, but uh, it well, but uh, okay. for now uh, it's strictly gas, yeah. Well, what's going on uh, in your neck of the woods then as, as far as, you know, what are we, two days since the news came out on this? Is, does anybody care? Is there, you know, is there rumblings? I'm not, or <laughs> I'm not hearing anything among the general public about it. I mean, I'm, what I'm hearing from is a few people who are directly affected. And uh, uh, Jim Willis wrote a column, and uh, um, he tends to think it's less of a merger than you and I do. He thinks it's more of a a buyout by the other company, but I think again, I would I would point to that uh, the uh, the management seems to be coming uh, at least in a little very important way from Cabot. So um, it's not you know not Dan Dingus, the head of Cabot, is not moving over there to be anything other than chairman. But he was probably ready to retire. But a, a young, a somewhat younger guy who's as I said, he's going to be in the top management over there. So. I don't know. We'll see. You know, you never know until, and they don't know really until they get into it, start working with each other. You know, just like you know, you merge two families. You you don't really know how it's going to work until you see if it works. Yeah. So right, and you know, but from the initial sniff test, and I, it's interesting. Jim Willis has got a little, you know, good for him being the journalist he is, but is is skeptical. Uh, yeah. You know, well, that's what they're paid to do, right? To be skeptic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I thought it was. It looked like a pretty, pretty good deal overall, and I'm sure you know we'll, we'll, there'll be some layoffs, but there'll also probably be some new opportunities. So I, I usually look at this as just you know kind of an F evolution of the deal, and um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. You know. Yeah, and I think I think it's far better that it, that it was this merger as opposed to. Uh, merger with one of the big boys or medium-sized boys, you know, because um, if you if you get absorbed, and I don't want to, you know, attack anybody, but I mean, there's obviously some two or three major, major players. And, uh, you know, if it was a merger with them, well, then you're going to be, you know, the, the game is going to totally change. You know? yeah. and, uh, 
And I don't think that would be healthy for Cabot or for its uh, landowners or for its stockholders. No. Yeah, okay. Well, I want to switch gears here real quick. we got just a few more minutes with Mr. Tom Shepstone, Natural Gas Now. I see you've got a, a new uh, column up, a new post up about the muth and mouth disease, and it uh, has to do with the Democrats. And I, I got a kick out of uh, just kind of skimming through it real quick, and I'm going to read it after after we're done getting some context sure. of it. But uh, earlier on on the program, uh, Sterling, who grew up in Saudi Arabia, he, he lived um, – from second grade to graduation over in Saudi Arabia. He went to school for Saudi Ramco, or Ramco at the time. His dad yeah, worked there. Right. Yeah, and so we were talking about uh, just a number of different things back and forth. And he used three words consecutively I've never heard before oil and gas Democrats. Plural. And I thought, boy, you know what? If, if, if you're an oil and gas industry, maybe that's not a bad idea to see if there's enough Democrats that'll join that party at this point. But I saw you were kind of going after the Democrats a little bit, so I thought I'd share that with you. Well, so. a certain faction of them, you know, what what my post is about, and by the way, it's pronounced Muth, uh, Katie Muth. So it's Muth and, Muth and Mouth uh, disease. You know, sorry, sorry, now, who's Katie what? Muth? Katie Muth is a... Um, former athletic trainer. I think she had uh, she did a whole bunch of things like that, and then uh, some, she got elected to be a state senator in uh, uh, southeast Pennsylvania. And there are three other senators from southeast Pennsylvania, all of whom were in their first term, by the way, all of whom were first term Democrats, uh, as far as the Pennsylvania state senate is concerned. And they have they have joined with our extremely political. Uh, attorney general we've you know we've we've had good and bad attorney generals but we've never had one i don't think as political as josh shapiro is and he's on a he's on a uh an obsessive march to become uh governor mm. so and in pennsylvania is, is is unusual among the states in the sense that uh uh it's not a new york where the blue has outweighed the red you know to such a degree that there's no the reds have zero influence, and it's not a red state either. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, and I wouldn't even call it a purple state because it 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 doesn't have a political feeling to it uh, like uh, a New York or a California or a Texas or a, you know an Arkansas that kind of thing. It's it's uh, or in your case uh, North Dakota, so. Um, which has a certain you know political feel to it. Pennsylvania is is very evenly balanced between rural and uh, uh, and urban, and the rural also includes the, the western Pennsylvania, which is not all actually rural, but includes a lot of uh, blue collar labor Democrats who vote Republican. Okay, so uh, so as a result, we're more evenly balanced. Um, and, uh, you know, Trump was able to appeal. I would argue he won both elections uh, in Pennsylvania. But let's not get into all that detail. Mm-hmm. But but he certainly startled everybody when he became the first uh, Republican to win Pennsylvania in decades, you know, uh, because of his appeal to those uh, Reagan Democrats, the blue-collar labor Democrats. And and they are, they are strong, and then you put them together. They're out in the Pittsburgh area. You put them together with the rural areas of Pennsylvania, so all of a sudden you have something that matches the Philadelphia uh, liberal blue area, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. 
So uh, Shapiro is taking a risk. He's betting that Pennsylvania is going to uh, be more blue than red. And he is appealing to uh, the far left side of the Democrat Party. And there is a huge divide. I mean, there are in Pennsylvania oil and gas Democrats. There are. Um, and in fact, when when you know we get into the details of legislation, we have some Democrats who are outspoken in favor of natural gas development. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting listening to you talk about um, the divide <laughs> that persists across America. You know, because yeah. what, what what you're describing in Pennsylvania is like any state USA, and I all I could think of is. Man, this is either the best time for a third party to step up or the worst time. Like, cause yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because this is this is like where the you know the evil lord comes in, the evil overlord comes in because you know everybody's ready for that third party. But at the same time, this is the time where the good revolutionist steps up too because people yeah. are purple, man. They're they're they're, they're a little of each these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, so I agree. And so, um, and and I would I would lean towards uh, um, I used to think independent and third party but I kind of lean towards trying to take over the Republican party at this point but whatever um, there yeah. are Democrats and uh, in Pennsylvania and the uh, those people you know the, 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 they're not great in number but they're significant in number and so so you and you do have uh, blue-collar labor Democrats who who, um, who you know want to have it both ways, but at the end of the day, we'll come down with labor. Okay, so to the extent that labor is troubled uh, as to which direction to turn, and they are at this point, there's no question about it in Pennsylvania that mm-hmm. some labor union supported Trump this past time, which was very interesting. And um, so you have that dynamic working in the attorney general. I think he's making a mistake. I hope he is. Uh, that he thinks. You know, he's got to appeal to the far left of Democrats in order to get the nomination. I'm not sure there's anybody else going to compete with him for the nomination. So I think he may be making a mistake. If I were him, I might be trending. I might be going to the middle a little bit more. But but he clearly is trying to appeal to them. And so what he did is he did this video press conference with these four uh, uh, freshman Democrat senators, basically first term Democrat senators. Out, all out of southeastern Pennsylvania, where he's from as well. And what they did is they rehashed stuff from, from 10, 12, uh, maybe 13 years ago that you're familiar with, that you've heard all the old fracking things and the water quality issues, which in the real world just aren't, don't even exist anymore. And the, um, uh, you know, just rehashing this old stuff like the Hubbard. The, the, the uh, disclosure of the chemicals, which is everybody's disclosing chemicals. That you may not be disclosing the, the precise uh, uh, components of each chemical, but they're disclosing the chemicals and the um, things like that. So and they're now pushing to take a, what is a 500-foot setback from a home or any building, actually, uh, and expand it to 2,500 feet and to have uh, legislation that would say you can't be within uh, five thousand feet, say a mile. This is happening right now. They're they're proposing this legislation. Yeah, this is this is the so, Colorado blueprint. Yeah, the Colorado. Yeah, legislation. that's right. So yeah. what they're doing is they're essentially trying to affect the ban through the back door by excessive regulation, and mm-hmm. 
and they did this video conference, which was a complete joke because uh, they they used one of the uh, the principal fractivists from the past who was spinning all these yarns and has been exposed numerous times. You know, so um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think their legislation will go anywhere. And I'm not so sure uh, Josh Shapiro, our attorney general, has quite the horsepower that he thinks he has. So we'll, we'll, it will all depend on whether the Republicans put up a decent opponent to him. Very interesting so. because it's almost like what uh, California did where they would build, you know, they'd build schools around oil derricks so they hide them. Yeah. Yeah, they'd build, make it look like a school, right? And then in New York, they basically did as close to keep it in the ground as possible. And so it's like Colorado figured out the, the happy medium between there and put together some legislation that's really, it, it literally is the Colorado blueprint to where I'm, I'm hearing this up pop up more and more states. And um, I, I really think so, it, this is something people need to pay attention to because it's, it's, not, it's not a top down. It's, it's from top and bottom coming up in the middle. It's, just, yeah, it's like a squeeze, you know? Yeah, squeeze. That's the way. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Well, that's some good stuff there. As far, as far as information, people need to be aware of at least in Pennsylvania that they should probably get get active. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, how could they help you out? Because I know you're out fighting the good fight. So, how can people give you some business? Well, the way they can do it is just read my blog, NaturalGasNow.org, and if they're so motivated, they can. Uh, Put down ninety nine cents a month. I think what's that eleven ninety seven a year or something like that. Eleven ninety one, I forget. But it's uh, and uh, eleven eighty eight, I guess. And uh, sign up for a, a, a volunteer subscription. They can read it anyway. But I would encourage people to do that. And we got a lot of people to do that. Do you take uh, uh, like corporate donor anonymous or or anything like that? Well, we take some corporate sponsorships. Um, and I generally don't, you know, disclose who those are. But I, I do tell people that they're, they're industry people. I, I do have, uh, I do have supporters who are industry supporters, both in the pipeline side and on the, the uh, natural gas exploration and development side. Okay, so that no, that's mostly comes from I imagine the Shepstone Management Company, more than anything. Okay. Yeah, um, and I do consulting work for the, for yeah. the industry. Well, you know, hey, it's just I'm in the same boat, man. Three or four streams of revenue. Welcome to the yeah. new world. <laughs> well, hey, that, that really ain't nothing new under the sun there. But uh, anyway, but uh, well, sir, thank you much. Naturalgasnow.org. Yep. Thank you very much, Jason. So here's a riding shotgun with the Lone Ranger. Here's to making a few friends out of a few strangers But don't you know Let this moment pass So here's to watching the clocks of our grandfathers And here's to stopping and picking flowers And here's to not letting this moment pass you by the crude life the most trusted voice in energy on the phone talking with us today chairman christy craddock of the texas railroad commission we are the oil and gas regulator but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of texas 
we have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is, is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely. You know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration that this is Obama Biden 2.0 plus. And the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my, my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing, but I think sometimes it's just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Kevin Kramer, U.S. Senator, North Dakota, luckiest man in the world. I do want to mention that I just before we got on the air, I got a I got an email from your staff, and I don't know if this is public or not, but it sounds like the uh, EPA director is going to be coming to North uh, North Dakota, or a deputy director, or who? who g- give me the news. Give me the what's going on. Sure. So it's the it's actually the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Michael Regan. Um, so it's, he's, he's the, on the president's cabinet, of course. He will be running the EPA. I don't expect him to, they, I don't expect he's going to run it the way I'd want it run. But Michael's a former energy regulator from North Carolina. And uh, one of the reasons that I supported Michael, and I, I actually serve on the Environment and Public Works Committee, so 
we had the market audit committee, um, and I voted for him in committee, and I voted for him uh, for for his confirmation on the floor of the Senate, realizing that he's working for the Biden administration, realizing that um, that uh, Gina McCarthy is the, the you know the climate czar, or the environment czar, or whatever she is for, for the country, climate czar, I guess, and John Kerry's the climate czar for the. You know, for the world, for the Biden administration, that Michael Regan may, you know, may have several bosses. But, but the thing I liked about Michael, first of all, he's, a, he's just a gentleman of a guy, just a sweetheart of a guy, beautiful family, young guy. But he's a former, like I said, state regulator, energy regulator, so I could relate to that. And, um, you know, I met with him before the, the hearing. I, of course, grilled him at the hearing. And, um, and then I, uh, and then I talked to him after the hearing and supported his, candidacy because he did pledge a couple of things. One thing he did is he pledged to uh, come to North Dakota. So we're doing that next week. He also pledged to, you know, I, I had a, a sense of his sincerity about actually listening to states, appreciating states' rights, and having been a state direct uh, regulator, uh, he would have a clear understanding or at least a better understanding of the role of states and the cooperative federalism role of the federal government. And so I'm, I'm giving, a ch- giving him a chance, and so far he's fulfilled the first promise. He's coming to North Dakota next, uh, one week from today, Thursday, next Thursday, as we record this. And he is um, coming to Bismarck. So we're working on the, 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 the schedule, but we're going to certainly do a round table on waters of the U.S., which is, of course, under EPA jurisdiction and, um, and energy policy. And price is set up on a private meeting or two as well for some folks with, with very specific projects that are important to the Environmental Protection Agency. So, so my, my Democratic friend from North Carolina, Michael Regan, and I will be in, in Bismarck together one week from today. Well, I think the crude life was definitely going to make our way out there, and then we've got to turn around and head down to Oklahoma City, and then we've got an, yeah, we've got an event down in Oklahoma City on uh, Monday, July June seventh, and then uh, I'm going to be at the Shale Energy Resources Conference on June ninth and tenth. We're going to have the Railroad Commissioner Jim Wright on the program as well as uh, Mayor Patrick Payton of Midland, Texas. He's leading that, uh, I call it the Million Mayor March. He wants to get all the mayors <laughs> in America energized on oil and gas. I love yeah. it. And then uh, who else? It. Ron Gusick, he's going to be on, CEO of Liberty Resources, talking about their electric mm-hmm. frack. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the projects Liberty Resources is doing, but they, they're doing electric frack. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Um, so, yeah, some real progressive wow. stuff. Go ahead. No, that's very cool. I, I, that that sounds like a great, great program. You're gonna you're gonna have lots of material for lots of uh, crude life episodes. Well, I hope so. And you mentioned waters of the U.S. And one of the things that we absolutely love about Senator Kramer is he's he's known as what I like to call a shale play prophet because every now and then. There's those folks that can get up on that big arrow, uh, that big oil drum, and kind of see you know that between the tea leaves and. I do remember our last interview, the last thing that you said is, you know, people need to get to know their bankers. And then all of a sudden I see you on this, what I call the bankers tour. I mean, my goodness, it's like the Rolling Stones. I mean, you got Visa, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, JB, all, all the big dogs. And I, I paid attention to that because there, 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 there's um, something's going on here. And so you're, you're on top of the t- top of things. So thank you for coming on the program because, folks, I tell you what, if, if you want to know 
what the next shale play profit moment is right now is it. And um, Senator Kramer, what, what's going on with the, uh, the bankers tour? What did you learn? And I did see this uh, yesterday morning, you were grilling them all already. So <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I love your, I love your use of the word bankers tour. The nice thing about the bankers tour for me was five of the largest, the five of the CEOs of the five largest banks in the country came to see me, so I didn't have to go on tour. And um, it started out with, uh, well, well, let me back up a little bit. I, I, I don't know if I'd mentioned this before, but I'd introduced a bill called the Fair Access to Banking Act. And it was a duplicate of a bill I uh, introduced last year, a freedom and banking bill that, that led to uh, a rulemaking out of the office of the comptroller uh, of the currency Brian Brooks out of his office in the Trump administration that said to banks, you cannot, basically prohibited them, and it's, it's got a stick attached to it, but prohibits banks from categorically excluding certain industries that are law, you know, that are legal, constitutionally protected industries. Because what was happening is because of the woke moment, and that's probably what I meant when I you know, said in that interview, get to know your banks. You've got these liberal activists, environmental activists, that are getting very involved in um, on bank boards. They're getting very involved as bank uh, employees, very involved with institutional investors. They 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 take proxies from other shareholders with a very low threshold for for proxy involvement, and they start threatening. And we just saw that happen with Exxon Mobil this week, where two they, they had to add two people to their board who are uh, environmental extremist activists. So this is happening to the banks, and so the consequence of that, and then, of course, the consequence of election, the, the, some of these big banks are starting to put out ESG policies, environment, um, social, and governing policies, where they represent all this crazy woke culture. But one of the biggest areas is the categorical exclusion of law, legal uh, industries. So they have everything from you know Bank of America that will not knowingly engage in the direct financing of of the construction or expansion of new coal-fired power plants. Um, and this is very common. That's Citigroup. Um, uh, they'll provide project-related financial services, or will not provide um, project-related financial services for new thermal coal mines or significant expansion of existing mines or new coal-fired power plants. And, and on and on it goes. And they all have this environmental framework or environmental social policy framework. And then they have oil and gas financing restrictions uh, you know, um, Goldman Sachs, you know, says for transactions involving new unconventional oil and gas and hydraulic fracturing, enhanced due diligence, including understanding company's strategy and commitment to reducing overall greenhouse gas emissions. In other words, they, they have all these far-out statements that, that basically tell people in the fossil fuel industry, pound sand, you know, and, and, and instead of looking at the creditworthiness of the project or the industry or the borrower, uh, they're just doing these categorical exclusions. So I introduced the Fair Access to Banking Act, and I got 33, 34 co-sponsors now, and um, it gets their attention. So the first call I get was from Jamie Dimon, who's, who's probably the most famous banker in American in America. He's the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, and uh, he wanted to talk to me about this. And it was very important because uh, he, he came in to see me, sat down in my office, in his genes, and it was just it was just a wonderful discussion. But he he tried to clarify for me that we don't. It's not that we're not going to fund fossil fuels. We just want to help companies in the transition and and finding the, the transition. And I said, well, okay. However, 
and this is what I've challenged all of them on, in that transition, don't leave out the fossil fuels. In other words, if you want cleaner, greener coal, for example, or fewer greenhouse gas emissions out of the, the tailpipe, or, or you just want to bring down global greenhouse gas emissions, invest heavily in the United States uh, fossil fuel industry because the innovations and the innovators are going to come from U.S. companies. They're going to come from U.S. entrepreneurs. Because if, you're, if you don't do that, then you're just acquiescing your climate guilt to other countries. So if, if the Keystone XL pipeline doesn't get built, Venezuela will fill that void. Well, where do you think the, the cleaner oil is going to come from and the production is going to come from? If you shut down, if you, if you don't, um, um, if you greenlight the Nord Stream 2, guess what? Vladimir Putin's natural gas emits 40% more greenhouse gas emissions than U.S. liquid natural gas moved to the same locations when you consider the life cycle of, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and on and on and on it goes. So I start talking to these bank presidents, and I say, hey, for example, the coal industry you know, is on the brink of doing some really big things, including, of course, carbon capture, utilization, and storage in North Dakota. Tell me more, tell me more, they'll say, and I tell them about Operation or Project Tundra, taking coal-fired electricity, capturing the, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, the, the, the CO2, using the CO2 in the, in the Bakken to, to uh, get more oil out of an existing well, and, and pretty soon you have both the, the coal-generated electricity and the oil produced in the Bakken, both with a lower greenhouse gas emissions because of, because of, because of the fossil fuel itself. And so this intrigued Jamie, and then um, after him, it was, I think, David Solomon, the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and then uh, Charlie Scharf, the, the president of Wells Fargo, and then it was Jane Frazier, the CEO of Citigroup, and then Brian Moynihan, chairman and CEO of the Bank of America. And one by one, I started talking to these people, and they all expressed a real interest in learning more about the innovations in, in fossil development and production and use here in the United States that actually have... A, a lower impact on greenhouse gas emissions than, than if they don't do it. In other words, other countries are going to fill this void. We're going to become more dependent on Middle Eastern oil, oil more dependent on Russian oil. The, the world, the Europe is going to get more dependent on Russian gas. Um, so anyway, that all led to uh, yesterday, you mentioned that the, 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 these five CEOs plus James Gorman from Morgan Stanley all came before the uh, Senate Banking Committee. And uh, they, they pretty much got a lesson in, in, in uh, who, who their real friends are. Because what happens is uh, Elizabeth Warren's on the banking committee with us. <laughs> and um, and uh, Sherrod Brown is the chairman of the banking committee. And they just rip into these people because they make too much money. Their salaries are too high. They, you know, they don't let their, their employees become unionized. They, you know, they buy back shares and they pay out big dividends and they have high profits. And all this is like somehow that's all bad. And then they come to their Republican friends and we're all going, hmm, let's see. You oppose the election laws and election integrity. Hmm. You oppose the fossil fuel industry. Huh. You won't you won't finance the, the uh, firearms industry, even though it's a constitutionally protected industry. And and what they've done is they've they find themselves much like big tech has with both sides of the political aisle mad at them for different reasons. So uh, all of that to tell you that it, the good news is I've formed some really good and important relationships. 
people that are interested in North Dakota and interested in doing business in North Dakota and doing business in the in the in the energy sector in the right way, and um, and I think they have a better understanding that the only people in their ear can't just be left wing activists. We as conservative, pro business, you know, pro America, pro national security uh, conservatives have to also be activists in their ear. Well, you go well beyond North Dakota. I mean, you've been a champion for the energy industry, including oil and gas and fossil fuels from day one, as far as I've known. I've been covering you for 20 years. I mean, well, so... Well, interesting. You know, Jason, I was thinking about some of this sometimes. When Rush Limbaugh died, as an example, when Rush Limbaugh died, and we were just sort of mourning that week, right? And and I remembered, I thought, you know, I was he referenced me one time in one of his monologues, Morning Update, and I so I dug into my archives. I think, and I eventually found it on on my uh, on a YouTube page where he had talked about me as a public service commissioner standing up and opposing the um, cap and trade. You remember that? That mm-hmm. probably was twenty years ago. It probably was, trade, yeah. And I, yeah, and I and when I said, well, you know, cap and trade will raise the price of everything we grow, produce, manufacture. You know, uh, and he quoted this long quote from me in his morning update, and I thought. Wow, I've been doing this a long time. And, and what happens is it, it becomes more and more consequential, Jason, because just as an example with these, with these bankers, even though they might still have some clients in the fossil fuel industry that they, would, that they would finance in the right circumstances and they might be able to thread a needle and weave their way through their ESG policy and still do this, they send the, mes- the message they send is, is that we don't like fossil fuels and we're going to shut down our whole economy, don't try to get a loan from us. And that sends a chilling message throughout the investment community. And it's sort of like, you know, the uncertainty of DAPL for a long time. Um, you know, when you have multiple places to invest your money, you're not going to invest it in controversial places where a banker might not be as friendly. So, you know, what I'm trying to help them better understand is that your words have consequences. These ESG statements have consequences. I'm not against, you know, a little bit of... Uh, you know, a little bit of moral high ground if you need to take it, and and little reality. But you also can't just blatantly or blindly throw out these words and not expect to have a negative impact on our economy. Because what bank in the world, what bank in the United States of America wants us to have a bad economy? That's what one of the questions I asked them yesterday was. Do you think do you think that um, demand for energy globally is going down? Well, not one of them thought that, that there's a reduction in global demand. So then I said, well, do any of you think that um, energy production in the United States is not important to the economy of the United States? Well, not one of them thought that. <laughs> so I said, well, then, then invest heavily in the United States energy sector, including fossil fuels, and you'll bring down greenhouse gas emissions, you will make the country safer, and you'll get a good return on your investment. You mentioned the word ESG a few times, and, of course, the word transition is the buzzword that the media mm-hmm. loves. And, and it is. So what yeah. we've tried to do at The Crude Life is put the two together, and so we've got the industrial forest, for example, where we're going to show the world how industry can solve another problem, problem being that the yep. last 20 years, get this, I don't know if you know this or not, the last 20 years, all the trees planted by cities and nonprofits have died in the first year. Okay, because of lack of lack of uh, water and shock and all this other stuff, and I'm going okay. If these guys have got all the resources and free reign and they can't even do it right, well, let's bring in industry and solve another problem. Let's put in a pipeline system. We call it a critical 
pipeline system so we can show the environmental people that we need a pipeline to make these trees live because you keep killing them. And then also we're going to bring in a sustainability shed. We're going to do it and show how the wheel fixes a problem, how fire fixes a problem, how industry is going to make life better again. So what we try to do is say, listen, this is how we're going to grab a hold of the narrative. Now, I'm going to bat the question to you. How can we get Gina McCarthy Jennifer Grishholm, and some of these other people who are really living in the planet of platitudes at the end of the day, how can we get them on board? With, well, the planet of platitudes, and you got to live in the realm of reality. Trust me, it's, it's the way. The, but how can we get them um, to understand that the oil and gas industry is the leader in the transition? How, how can we do that, or how can the industry get a hold of the narrative behind the ESG and the word transition, if you will, because I think it's happened regardless. So how, how can they get yeah, a hold you, of it? You, you're right. You've asked a great question because I don't know that you can make Gina McCarthy understand it. I don't know that you can help Janet McCabe at the EPA better understand it. I don't. John Kerry seems like a totally hopeless cause. Or either that or they actually do understand it. And I suspect that might even be the case. The problem is they're driven by anti-fossil politics not so much about the principle of greenhouse gas emissions. So, for example, one of the questions I asked um, um, uh, Jane Frazier, the CEO of Citigroup, they have one of the, the probably the most specific anti-coal statements in the country. And I asked her, I said, does Citigroup have an anti-coal policy or do you have an anti-CO2 policy? And I said, what you have is an anti-coal policy because it literally states that you will not, after 2030, invest any money in any utility that generates more than 5% of their electricity from coal. But what if you have emissions-free, zero-emissions coal? You know, why, why, why would you, you know, discriminate against the coal when the goal should be greenhouse gas emissions? My point being, invest in the innovators, and the innovators are the people in the industry. Exactly to your point, I think you can help people like Jane Fraser and Dick, Jamie Dimon and Brian Moynihan and David Solomon and Charlie Scharf and James Gorman and others. I think you can convince some of them. I don't think you can convince these other people because uh, it, 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 because think, think of this. Natural gas produced in Russia, put into a pipeline and, and pushed through the pipeline to, to other parts of Europe, has a 40% greater greenhouse gas footprint than does liquid natural gas from the United States of America put on a ship and shipped to Europe. So why then, if you're Joe Biden, would you lift the sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which is a pipeline from Russia to Germany, not yet finished, um, why, why would you greenlight that while shutting down natural gas in the United States if you cared about the climate? I don't think they don't know. I think they just, for whatever reason, they want to hamstring... They have a great empathy, let's say, for places like Russia and, and, and seem to like Vladimir Putin more than they like Doug Burgum. Well, I'm a little bit concerned about how friendly they are with allowing, you know, foreign countries to, you know, we haven't, I'm not, we don't have time today to talk about the transition into wind energy and how Europe has got a 20 year head start on that whole thing. Okay. We don't need to get into that. So, uh, Russia though, I do want to just kind of, I isolate Russia for just a second because that was a bit that, that, that's shocking. And I think that's really sticking people the right way. And I think they should be upset with all the dapple talk and the keystone talk. And then all of a sudden, hey, Putin, go ahead. 
not 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 only pump away, but also emit gases away. Um, how are we supposed to interpret that? I guess. <laughs> well, well, so the, you know what's really wild about Russia and and Nord Stream Two is be, remember it was bad Russian actors who just a few weeks ago hacked into uh, uh, with a cyber attack uh, colonial pipeline in the United States and shut it down. Two weeks after they did that, Joe Biden rewards Russia by greenlighting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline instead of working with Germany to reject it and say, we'll sell you liquid natural gas and you'd have, you know, it's not only better for the environment, better for our economy, it's better for national security. Because imagine this, remember, the United States, the United States spends about 4% of our gross domestic product on national defense. A big part of that is at NATO, which defends you know, places like Germany and the United Kingdom and Romania and Estonia and a whole bunch of other European countries from Russia. <laughs> so why would you then help Vladimir Putin create an energy monopoly and then you as a country, Germany, become dependent on Vladimir Putin's energy while only spending about, well, I think in the case of Germany, um, you know, they, they spend less than 2% of their gross domestic product, but 1.5% of the, their gross domestic product on their own national defense. We spend more on their national defense than they do. And then we're defending them against Germany, or I mean against Russia, who they are tying themselves to. It's so absurd that you can't make it up in a Hollywood script. It would be thrown out for being too unbelievable. Well, I think I finally know how to ask this question. I've been trying to figure out how to ask you now for a while because, well, I it's it's one that's actually kind of personal to me because I you know I I've been been going through the whole COVID and CARES Act and all that stuff. And the other the other day, I went to uh, Beer and Fish in Fargo, North Dakota, bellied up and got some takeout for my son and I. Uh, support Bert down there in downtown Fargo and. Um, I do what most people do when they belly up to the bar. They eavesdrop on other people's conversations to hear what's going on. Whether you want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a couple uh there was a couple builders there and they were complaining about lumber prices and, and I the reason I started paying attention was because it got beyond the joking and they were they were upset because they didn't lock in in time and you know, some some contracts that they had let's just put it this way, balloon and Sunset words like that were being used. You know what I mean. So I was. Uh-huh. Sure. So I, I kind of felt what they were talking about because um, yeah. what what's been happening is a lot a lot of the relationship and a lot of the direction that's been going on is with with the bankers and with banks and and to really kind of be a bridge to get us out of this uncertain economy. And we were heading that way, and then all of a sudden. Now we got either Gina McCarthy or Jennifer Gresholm in the last two months talking about, you know, to get used to negative oil prices, saying crap like that. And we've got, you said it best with John Kerry, don't even know what he's up to. So all of a sudden, as we were starting to get more certainty into the marketplace, now this leadership's bringing in all this new uncertainty, which the oil and gas industry does not need any more uncertainty. It's just, it's got its own. So my, my, my fear is, is that, you know, we just spent the last year and a half directing everybody to basically go get a loan. And so now what we're talking about as these lumber guys and the builders and, and truckers and small business owners, really now we're talking about debt 
debt versus a business and risk management, and that might be the new future for some small businesses. So I don't even know what the question is. It's just more of some observations and, you know, uh, journalistic observations. So what, what advice do you have for people when it comes to just the marketplace or relationships going forward and just that sort of thing? Yeah, so it's it's a great question, and I'm not an economist, but I'm fascinated by economics. But I know you don't have to have an MBA or or a master's in economics to know that when you flood the economy with cheap or free money, um, and you just print a whole bunch more of it and flood it with some more, you're going to devalue the money. And and the consequence of that, of course, is higher prices. It's called inflation. It's it's as it's as natural as sunrise, and that somehow people didn't think that was going to happen. I, I don't know how, what they were thinking. And so this last two trillion dollars that the Biden administration forced down our throats without a single Republican vote, now they have another five trillion they want to do, and that's why we're in these these bipartisan negotiations on mm. infrastructure to try to use existing money to do important things and at least spend the money to build an asset. I'm just reiterating the problem. I'm not, I'm not coming up with much of a solution for you, but in terms of advice, but, <laughs> but this is, this is why lumber prices are so high. This is why you can't get your hands on certain things. The other problem of course is during the last year, a lot of things were shut down. Production was shut down, manufacturing automobiles was shut down. But, but right now there is inflation. The main thing I would say right now is, um, first of all, there's a lot of savings. There's a lot of liquidity in the economy. One of the things that um, Brian Moynihan at, at Bank of America told me, he said, because I ask all these guys about inflation, and their, their lo- um, lower-level um, uh, checking account customers, people that keep $1,000 or less balance in their checking account, are averaging $7,000 in their checking account now because of all of this money that is funded. People have money. People have money, and, and um, I think they're anxious to spend it. So uh, some of what we need to do is just reopen our economy wide open and let that money flow and let, you know, let people be building things and, and whatnot. Now, there are certain areas, and building is one of them, particularly you know, home construction, and, and because of the timber and things that are so high-priced, those commodities are, are high-priced. Um, but you also have high-priced labor because we're paying people not to work. And so we've got to get that. We got to get over with that. So thank goodness that, that Doug Bergman in North Dakota has shortened the time frame for extension of unemployment benefits and and reincentivize people to work rather than incentivize them not to work. Uh, and uh, we just we need to get back to our equilibrium. But the very thing that this is advice to myself now is don't fall for another five trillion dollars of of printing money or raising taxes. We cannot have high inflation. Because the next thing's going to happen will be higher interest rates. You can't help it. You know, the Federal Reserve can say all they want about keeping interest rates low, but if the price of things keeps going up and we end up, you know, having very high commodity prices, then, um, you know, the next step to control that is increase in in, uh, interest rates. And if that happens, the last thing you want is an increase in taxes, too. That'll just devastate the economy. So I say all that because there's, there's optimism in that as well as a challenge in that. Um, we need to get the economy going. We need to be active in the marketplace. The good news is for North Dakotans, the commodity prices that are up are oil and corn and wheat. You know, So there are a lot of the things that we produce and we actually benefit from. Um, so we're probably better off than many parts of the country in, in, in that respect. But the low cost of money, if we can continue to keep interest rates down 
and keep everything in check will at least provide an opportunity for, for people, even with higher prices, to, to maybe, maybe get into the building game. But right now, it's not even just a matter of money. It's a matter of actually getting some of the products you need. Oh, I miss the free market. Remember the good old days when the old free market oh, was around? remember that? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, who, who was it? The, the other day, somebody was telling me about um, one of the electric car people, you know, really pushing the electric car thing. Yeah. And Joe Biden has more money in his in his infrastructure package for electric cars than he does for roads. Can you imagine that? And and uh, and they, they want to put, a, a, you know, $1.3 or $130 billion in, in electric cars and $100 billion or something in electric vehicle charging stations and infrastructure. I said, well, remember when in the good old days when when your town had enough automobiles running on gasoline that some private businessman said, I think I'll open a gas station? Yeah, that's how the private sector, that's how the marketplace is supposed to work, not the government forcing the technology on people that they may not even want or may not even work. Well, I'm, I, I was going to let you go, but I, I have to ask you one more question then because of what you just said. Because, no, this is, this is a real serious thing, and this actually ties back to the banker tour, which we are now calling the Kevin Kramer tour because I didn't realize they all came to you. So if they all came to you, you were the tour. Never mind, you were the Rolling Stones. Um, so uh, the cancel culture is really kind of running the show now. What's going on? They are. No, it's really a problem. It's really a problem. That's why we have to stand up to it. This is, and this is my final word on this, Jason. This is why what you do with Crude Life is so important. And this is why I like to come on with you and talk about this. Because in addition to all of the policy issues that we're discussing and the trends that we discuss, it's really important for people in business, in industry, free marketers, capitalists, to also be political activists. And I'm not talking about just writing big checks and stuff like that. Liberals are naturally activists. Environmental activists are activists. And they, they, they'll harass businesses. They'll protest you know, infrastructure. They'll, they'll get up, try to get on the boards of directors. They'll spend all their time calling talk radio and Facebook and, and all these things that they do. Um, where we just as conservatives kind of want to be left alone. As a capitalist or free market you know, participant, we just kind of want to just stay out of my business and, and don't overregulate me and I won't bother you. Well, that's okay to a certain degree, but once, once, um, you know, once the gun goes off and the race starts, you better be in the race. And so I'm just telling you, it's important we keep having these discussions because the cancel culture is very real. And if the only ear in the voice of the investor or the banker or, you know, or the CEO it, it, are, are, are the people on the left making noise, um, then, of course, they're going to respond to that. We just have to make sure that we're standing up for capitalism, free markets, the American experiment, self-governance, and the greatest experiment in political world history right here in the United States of America. Always a pleasure, sir. I can't wait to see you when you run for president one day. It's going to be a great time. (laughs) The, The day that you nominate me, I'm moving to Canada. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.
music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.ai. That's Great American Mining, GAM.ai. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Patrick Bertinoli of the Rough Rider Center and Community Enhancement Director at the City of Watford City. I'll share this too, you know, so not only was that a significant move, but, you know, obviously we had to scramble. And so now we have 800 hotel rooms in our community. We have the big event center. So we hosted the West Region Class A Wrestling Tournament here. Uh, it's been a year ago. Yep, tourism is a push. We're actually, we've been doing so well at the Rough Rider Center that we're uh, adding another event planner. And part of that mission is to achieve that, filling our hotels and our restaurants. So that's part of our feed up there financially is restaurants. So we, uh, the restaurants want to be full. The hotels want to be full. We want them full. So what about Watford City? Should people know about? Um, That's, well, obviously, you know, yeah. What are, what are the good attractions there? Things that. Well, my favorite thing is uh, the north unit of Roosevelt Park, and then uh, we have the CCC uh, campground, which is the trailhead of the Matahe. And uh, Nick Ybarra uh, brings the Matahe 100 and just a t- plethora of events into the community. Um, I actually was out camping at the CCC last year when he started the, the Matahe 100. It's a very difficult race that only half the people finish. And it ends in Medora, but uh, just tremendous stuff. But I would say that, and I'll throw this out there to all your listeners, anybody that comes into Watford City, one, I'll give you a tour of the Rough Rider Center, and I'll take you around personally and show you our community because that's how proud I am of it. And that was Patrick Bertinoli with the Rough Rider Center and the Community Enhancement Director in the city of Watford City. To listen to the full-length interview or check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life is a media organization that promotes a culture of inclusion and respect through interviews, content creation, live events, and partnerships that educate, enrich, and empower people to create a positive social environment for all, regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, physical or intellectual ability. Everyday energy for everyday people. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? 
lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. We're going to do a good old-fashioned Bakken barbecue. Halliburton has been cooking for two days. Uh, they've cooked 2,500 pounds of pork, 800 pounds of sausage, uh, 500 pounds of chicken. So, uh, Everyone's favorite are the fish tacos, but they've got burgers, steaks, salads, I mean, pretty much everything. The first experience was, oh, where are all the rigs? Because you have so much country here. If it ain't about whiskey, sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. In a car, they're in a tent, they're in some other building that's not meant for human habitation. We've actually found people living in haystacks, in uh, grain bins. We found one guy that uh, basically gets shelter in a culvert each night. This was one of those stories where one reporter can't cover. There's too much happening at one time in too many places. If you hear it and it ain't stuck in your head all day, it's got a pop back beat and it's sung the wrong way. If you're not making money in the Bakken, you just truly are not thinking hard enough. Brother, it ain't country, no. Looking for a helping hand? Look at the end of your doggone arm. North Dakotans aren't looking over their shoulder for the government to help them. Some furco wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country, no. If you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some boots to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. As long as I'm working, my mom and dad are happy. Okay. <laughs> and a shower. Well, that was always a key, especially going to Thunder Bay. And he doesn't like life, I guess. <laughs> Insanity, right? In North Dakota, the Bakken Plague. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry 
industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band.
exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.